have your Bible with you or you'd like to use one in the pew in front of you, turn with me to the gospel according to Mark. The gospel according to Mark, chapter 5. This morning we will be reading verses 21 to 43. If you're a guest with us, we are working our way verse by verse through the book of Mark, watching Jesus on the move learning about his kingdom and what it means to follow him and to live for him in his kingdom in this world. We are in a section in which the king displays his authority and his power over all creation. We have seen him calm the storm, calm the waves. We have seen him enter a graveyard and heal a man possessed by a demon. And now we will see Jesus in his healing power as he is approached by two very different people. And in their differences, what Mark tries to show us is what we all have in common. With all that in mind, we are going to read verses 21 to 43. This is the word of the Lord. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with them. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, who had suffered much under many physicians had spent all that she had, and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment, for she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking... There came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and Jesus saw a commotion people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age, 
And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. The world defines you and me based on what makes us different. Any label that you could use for yourself is used to separate you from others. Two people come to Jesus for help, and on the surface, with their labels, they appear very different. But if you look closer to their stories, they both fall on their knees because suffering is the great equalizer. Whatever your label is, the emergency room and the funeral home make us equal. As one of my favorite bands growing up once wrote, we all break the same. Brothers and sisters, what we see here in this famous story in the book of Mark is this simple, simple truth. Everyone needs Jesus. Black and white, rich and poor, American, international, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter where you are on the political spectrum. Doesn't matter what you've done with your life. Doesn't matter what label you wear. You and I need Jesus. We see this when we compare and contrast these two characters. And as we walk through this story together, I want to show you three links between the two. Three links between Jairus and the woman who come to Jesus. The first link is their desperation. Their desperation. The fact that we know Jairus' name is a big deal. It's significant. It's rare that we know anyone's name in the Gospels. They usually keep them anonymous. It's a clue that Jairus had things going for him. Let me share some of those with you. First and foremost, he was a man. And in 2021, that sounds wrong. But in first century Israel, fact was, that mattered. He was a man of influence. Mark tells us he was a ruler of the synagogue. He wasn't a priest. He wasn't a, like a pastor in function, more like a deacon. He, he was a man of influence in the religious community, served the religious community. He was dependable, trustworthy, somebody that people looked up to. He was an important figure. And when he sees Jesus, this important, significant man falls to his knees and begs just like the demon-possessed Gentile in the graveyard. They're in the same position. His world is crashing down on him because he is about to lose his little girl. The way people look at him in that moment, he doesn't care. What people think of him, when they see him crying and tears falling down on the sand below, begging a man to help him, he doesn't care. He will give up his reputation. He will give up anything if someone could do something for his baby. 
And when Jairus might be tempted to give up hope, Jesus agrees to go see his little girl. Now, how fast would you run home? How fast would you pull Jesus home? But before they can make it, before they can get to his little girl, you know the story, we've read it, things get derailed. Someone else needs Jesus. But who is it this time? First and foremost, it's a woman. It's a woman that Mark keeps anonymous. And all we know is that she has this bleeding disorder that has only gotten worse. The doctors can do nothing about it. And to let you in on the significance of this problem, I want to point you back to Leviticus chapter 15. According to the law, anything, anyone that she touched would be religiously unclean. Verse 31, thus you shall keep the people of Israel separate from their uncleanness, lest they die in their uncleanness by defiling my tabernacle that is in their midst. So according to God's word, according to the Old Testament, she's not allowed to be here this morning. This woman is not allowed to be at worship in the temple. She's not allowed to have a physical relationship with anybody. R.C. Sproul points out that just by being in the crowd that day, she's breaking the law of God. Just by being out in public. So her life is one of total isolation and never-ending pain. But just like Jairus, the rich man, there is nothing that can keep her from Jesus. And so she makes her way through the crowd, just hoping to grab onto his robe. Before we go any further, brothers and sisters, look at these two. If you saw them on the street, you would never pair them together. If you only knew them by their labels, you would never think they had anything in common. But what does their common desperation show us? Friends, this speaks to us today. It shows us the kind of person that God helps. Listen, despite what we may say and tell ourselves, God does not help those who help themselves. God helps the helpless. You just think about these two characters. Gender did not help in this situation. Jairus being a man didn't matter. That wasn't going to change his daughter's situation. Jairus having some money did not matter. The world and its ability, its medicine, its science did not matter. The woman tried. The reason she's broke is she went to doctor after doctor after doctor, and they could do nothing about it. Here's one for us. Religion did not help. The fact that Jairus is a ruler of the synagogue didn't help him one bit compared to the woman. God does not care about your labels, 
or your performance. God cares about the position of your heart. Psalm 34, verse 18, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. And so, friend, what keeps you from being desperate? What keeps you from being able to fall on the ground in this room right now in front of everybody, weeping before the Lord asking for help? There's a couple of things. Pride. Those of us like Jairus have something to lose if we fall on the ground. We don't want to be seen that way. We want to be strong. And some of us like the woman, it's shame. We don't want to be known for our uncleanness. Friend, James 4.10 Humble yourself before the Lord, and he will exalt you. No one will be exalted unless they are desperate. Until you and I stop trying to be okay, God will not help us. Until you stop trying to be strong and helping yourself, God will not help you. Embrace your desperation. There's more that links these two characters. The second link that we see in this passage is delay. Both of them are delayed and interrupted and have to wait. If, if you're paying attention, if you've been with us through this journey in Mark, you, you might have noticed we have something here before us that we've seen. This is now Mark's third sandwich that he is offering us. But this one is different. Usually when Mark gives us a sandwich, it's to make a point. And the middle gives us some special meaning to it all. But here, Mark uses the sandwich to build suspense. Mark starts with Jairus, then moves to the woman, and then ends with Jairus. One, because that's how it happened. But two, it helps us feel the agony of waiting. Helps us to be in Jairus' shoes. At any moment, Jairus' daughter could die. This man cannot waste time. And a woman comes along, and Jesus doesn't show any kind of urgency. He doesn't show any kind of concern about his daughter. It's almost like Jesus forgot about Jairus. Now, how annoyed would you be? In our sense of entitlement, you better believe we'd be letting Jesus know what's happening with our daughter. Stamping our feet, demanding that he ignore this woman. She's been bleeding for 12 years. She can wait 12 more hours. It's my time. My daughter doesn't have it. In those frantic moments, don't we just forget about anyone else? or anything else. The only thing that matters is our problem. We're not thinking about what anybody else is going through. 
And what Jairus would need to remember and what you and I need to remember is that, friends, no matter what we're going through, you and I are not the only ones dealing with something. You're not the only one who came in this morning with an issue, with a hard time, with a story. This woman has been waiting for 12 years. I want you to get in her shoes now. She probably had dreams. She probably had dreams of getting married and raising a family. She never intended to miss every Saturday at Sabbath synagogue. She never intended to miss every festival in the community. She never intended to be lonely her entire life. She never planned for this. She woke up one morning and found blood in her bed, and her entire future went out the window. And after more than a decade of quarantine, her entire life has been interrupted. But for both Jairus and this woman, their delay became Jesus' opportunity. Friend, I'm coming to you. You need to hear this. We are in a season of waiting. Their waiting led to Jesus working. We all now know something of being put on hold. I have wrestled with this. This spoke to me as I have felt frustrated in all the waiting, in all the delays, all the plans that have been thrown out, all the things that have been pushed back, all of the points in life that have been interrupted. And you can feel it, you can hear it, you talk to anyone. There is this collective society of impatience and frustration. Now imagine, we've been dealing with this for what, 12 months, maybe a little more. Imagine that being your total existence for 12 years. By yourself, no relationships, no community, no plans for more than a decade. When your plans get interrupted, when things get put on hold, how do you react? It's not hard to imagine the answers. How are you acting today? When you get told to wait by God, how do you respond? Psalm 27, 14, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. In these moments, right now, we think we need to show how strong we are and handle it. We need to take action. We need to get on with it. We need to get the program back on. We need to get back to normal. We need to do it now. But faith tells us that waiting takes more strength than taking action. Waiting on God, praying and letting Him takes more courage than acting with impatience. And friend, listen, when you're impatient and frustrated to the point of forcing the issue, 
you are demonstrating that you do not trust a God who might make you wait. That in your wisdom, you know better about the timing of your life than the king himself. Let me encourage you to look at Jairus and this woman. Listen, your interruptions may slow you down, but they set God up. Your interruptions may frustrate you. They may change your plans, but they are just lining up God's sovereign plan for you. Even if you cannot do what you want to do when you want to do it, even if you cannot do what you need to do, God is doing exactly what he wants to do. Because God, he is different. And he does not get interrupted. From whatever you're waiting on the Lord for, I don't know what it is. It might take a week. It might take 12 years. You might have to wait until the day you leave this earth and see your king. But you can trust him. Psalm 25, verse 3. None who wait for you shall be put to shame. And God can use this waiting room, this waiting time, to make you more like him to do exactly what he wants to do, but to do what you would never expect or plan. But ultimately, what links Jairus and this woman together is not their waiting. It's their salvation. The third link in this story is the deliverance that they both experience. Doctor after doctor can do nothing for this woman. But verse 29 says, when she touched the great physician, immediately the blood dried up and she was healed. By that time, it's too late for Jairus. The funeral has already begun. They're already doing the songs for the funeral when they get to the home. His friends tell them, tell him not to bother Jesus anymore. It's pointless. And when Jesus says the girl's only sleeping, they make fun of him because they know what death looks like. They're not fooled. What's Jesus talking about? The girl really died. But Jesus knows that death is temporary. That's why he said she was sleeping. With the same voice that stills the sea, calms the storm, Jesus brings the wind back into her lungs and brings her up out of the bed. Mark says immediately she gets up. It ends on a funny note. It says she gets up out of bed, walks around, and they give her some food to eat. I think what Mark is saying is she's acting just like any other preteen would. She's going to the kitchen. She's getting some food to eat, but Jesus brings complete healing. We start with two people who are totally desperate, and we leave with two people who are totally delivered. Friend, listen, Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 27, God says, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? What are you waiting on God to do? What do you need from him? Jesus can do the impossible for anyone at any time. This is what this section of Mark is all about, storms. 
demonic powers, disease, and death, nothing stands in the way of our king. Nothing is impossible for him. And Jesus proves this, friends, by dealing with our most serious, devastating problem. Because of our sin, we are in the most desperate situation. We are outcasts. We are unclean. We are separated like this woman. God brings promises to his people that he'll deliver them. But at this point in time, they're just waiting hundreds, thousands of years. And they wonder what is with all of this delay. Why are we waiting on God? Why are we waiting so long for this salvation? But according to Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, when the fullness of time had come, at just the right moment, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Friend, Jesus knows what it's like to suffer. God learned what it was like to be desperate like you so that you could enjoy peace with him. Jesus experienced the desperation of this life on the cross. He dealt with the sin that kept us from God, that brought all of the agony. And Romans 5, 6 says, For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. On the third day, the Father spoke to Jesus like Jesus speaks to the little girl. And he told Jesus, my son, I say to you, arise. And he walked out of the grave to deliver us from sin and slavery and pain and misery and death. What makes us all the same is our need for a Savior. That is ultimately what links every single one of us together, every single human being that has ever breathed. We need a Savior. What separates us is how we respond to that need. That's what the four soils were all about. How do you respond to this message? You and I need Jesus do we embrace that message and fall to our knees, reach out and believe in him? Or do we, like the crowd, just assume it's for somebody else? Jesus tells the woman, your faith has made you well. Jesus tells Jairus, do not fear, only believe. Friend, if the Lord is speaking to you and showing you your need for a Savior, a need that has never been met showed you that your sin is keeping you from him right now and the only way for you to be right is to receive the Lord Jesus, to turn away from your life and sin and to put your trust in what Jesus did on the cross for you and in his resurrection, friend, believe. Acts chapter 10, verse 43, the apostles say, to him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Would you reach out to Jesus today and believe that Jesus will meet your deepest need? But believer, those who follow Christ, what can you and I do today while we wait on Jesus? What can we do 
as we're still waiting for our king to answer our prayers, to meet our needs? What can we do? I have three action steps for you. The first one, this one's the hardest one to remember, is to praise him. Praise him for how he has already delivered you. He has already done the impossible. He has already brought you to himself and saved you. Psalm 107, verse 20 to 21. He sent out his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. So anything that you are looking for the king to do today is less a miracle than freeing you from the punishment of your sins. What you want God to do is not greater than saving your soul. And it is really easy in the midst of waiting for Jesus to be impatient and to complain and to grow bitter, to grow discouraged. What you need to do is whether you feel like it or not is to worship him. He has done enough for you to praise him and worship him for the rest of your life, no matter if he answers another prayer in your life. The second thing you need to do is stay desperate. You don't want to stop being desperate. You may feel like it. You may be tired of being desperate, but that is the exact place you need to be. God does not help those who help themselves. God helps the desperate. So what do you want to be? You want to be desperate. Trust him in that. Trust him in your weakness. Depend on him. 2 Timothy 4.18, Paul was able to say, The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul had this confidence. He knew that he would ultimately be delivered. So even in prison, in his desperation, he could have confidence and faith that the king would be faithful to him. Friends, Stay desperate. But the third thing that you and I could do in these desperate moments, and someone needs to hear this, we all do, is to remember that you are not alone. We wear these labels and we convince ourselves that we are different, that we are unique. And in our suffering, it is the same. And all across the nation, all across our community, people are convincing themselves that the way they feel and what they are going through, no one will understand. And we talk to ourselves and convince ourselves that these things are true. Hear me, what you are going through does not make you different. We have a common struggle that should unite us. Brothers and sisters, we need to take advantage of being in a family. I'm not talking about physical family. God has united believers into the family of Christ. What are we doing? Staying in our desperate situation, isolated. Reach out. See what this woman did and reach out to Jesus into the people of Jesus. Everyone needs Jesus. Everyone needs community. You are not alone. 
in this. All of creation, the Bible says, is waiting for the day to Jesus make things, for Jesus to make things right. Paul tells us it's not just every person in this room. The grass is waiting for Jesus to redeem us. The mountains are waiting for Jesus to redeem us. The deer and the antelope and the cow and everything breathing in this earth is waiting on Jesus to redeem us. You and I are in this together. But at just the right time, Jesus is coming back. And we will rise with him. And Revelation 21 verses 4 and 5 tell us that he will wipe away every tear from our eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Brothers and sisters, if this is your hope, hear the words of Jesus to Jairus. Do not fear, only believe. Let us pray.